Thank you for that reading. Thank you all for being here. What a great morning this has been. The music, the choir numbers, the readings. My goodness, it's been fantastic. Um, a short time ago, there was a gentleman by the name of Chris Gursky who left his home in Florida for a vacation in Europe. Some of you have seen um, one of the depictions of his adventures in Europe, though I'm guessing that there are many of you who have not. But it has made the rounds of uh, internet fame because he left his home in Florida, went to Europe, ended up in Switzerland at the top of a rather high peak and was preparing to go hang gliding with his tandem partner, the instructor of this hang gliding endeavor. They have a camera both on the front of the hang glider and on the back of the hang glider. The clip that is shared actually by Chris himself is all from the camera that sits at the back of the kite. And if you're unfamiliar with hang gliding, you're basically hanging from a kite in a harness with a bar in front of you, and that bar helps you to both guide the direction of the hang glider and also move up and down with the currents of the wind because that's what you're dependent on for flight. Chris and his instructor are side by side. Chris with his arm around his instructor and one hand on the bar and the instructor appropriately so with both hands on the bar. This was not a cliff they were jumping off of, just a very high incline and a very slight platform that only required a brief three-step run and then there would be launch because of the trade winds that come up that hillside in Switzerland. You might notice, though you may not, at the very beginning of the film, the instructor has at the back of his harness a little O-ring that is hooked into the kite. Chris has a harness with an O-ring that should be hooked into the kite. They take off, and the natural step off of the platform causes the instructor to do what the instructor should do. The legs come back, both hands are on the bar. Chris immediately realizes something is terribly wrong because he's not hooked in. He has one hand on the bar, one hand on his instructor, and he's hanging on for life because they are immediately 20, 30, 40 feet in the air. The instructor trying to figure out what to do was at a loss for why Chris was hanging on to him so desperately and was glancing and looking and glancing, trying to figure out what had gone wrong and how to remedy the situation. But by now, they are easily 50, 60 feet in the air and climbing. Not so much climbing in their own elevation, but the ground is dropping away beneath them because it's such a steep incline. Even the trees beneath don't look like a soft landing as the tension of every viewer has to be mounting what is going to happen. I have a terrible habit when I speak of not giving you the ending of the story. <laughs> Let me tell you that it is four minutes of terror Four minutes of Chris trying to hang on 
one death grip on the bar and another on the back of the instructor's clothes. And the instructor struggling to keep control of this hang glider. He eyes a spot for landing, comes in far too hot, far too fast. The moment that Chris's legs hit the ground, he flops off and mangles his wrist, but nothing else. It's an amazing ending to a very frightening video clip. And I just want to say that I didn't have nearly enough knowledge many, many years ago, as some of you have heard me tell the story, of going up to the hang glider port up in uh, Torrey Pines in La Jolla to attempt one of those tandem flights myself with my instructor, Steve. My friend Jim was with me. We decided this was our big adventure for the year. This is before I moved out here to be your pastor. Wasn't nearly as wise or prudent back then. And I remember Steve giving me some instructions, far fewer instructions than I needed. Information helps me. Steve didn't know that. (laughs) Steve walked me out, seriously, about this far from the edge of the La Jolla Cliffs. It's not like a hillside. The drop-off, you know if you've been there, is dramatic and far. There's no second step after the first step. And Steve got me about six feet from the edge... And it was at this point that he said, so, I want you to hang on to the bar and one hand on me and I'll guide us and just listen to my instructions. Are you ready? What? (laughs) No, I need more instructions. Steve wasn't prepared, he said, uh, for me to have any more. He said, all you need to do is when I say run, start running. That's both at the beginning and at the end. At the beginning, we're going to run, we're going to take off. At the end, we're going to land, and you start running before you land so that you can keep up with the speed that we will be going when we come in for this landing. I said, okay, and was about to ask my next question when Steve said, run. (laughs) So he runs. I didn't want him to just run in a circle around me as I stayed planted, so I ran with him and took that first step off the edge of the cliffs in La Jolla. What happened next, I was not fully prepared for, because I thought that at that moment it would just be sore. But instead, you actually drop. Go figure. You drop before the wind starts catching the wind in the hang glider. Unprepared for that, there was this mad rush of adrenaline that made me think I could fly if I needed to in that moment. (laughs) After dropping about 15 feet, which is about 12 more than I wanted, the wind caught the sail, and there is an amazing updraft that happens at that place in the cliffs. Far more hang gliding days there than just about any place in our country. And the air just lifted us up. We got into position. I was harnessed in beautifully, unlike Chris Gertzky. And we began to climb. Instead of just staying over the cliffs, as beautiful as that was, we began to fly over the golf course that's right there. 
It was magnificent. I cannot describe the feeling of flying with no engine noise, with the wind in your face. I know others here are well experienced in that. We actually had one who uh, attended for a while here, and um, this was his regular endeavor. Came in for a landing. Steve said, start running, and we were about 10 feet above the ground, and I started running in the air until we landed, and it was like a Fred Flintstone thing where the feet are just going until it hits. Came in for a landing. Say all of that to lead to the next piece, which is my buddy Jim. I don't know if it was that he weighed a few more pounds than I did or if it was that the wind wasn't as strong. 45 minutes later, he and Steve took a step off of the edge and they dropped just like I did, but I never saw them come back up. It was a concern of mine because I was planning to take pictures and that wasn't going to be a good photo op to look over the edge Steve was very skilled as a pilot, and they were trying to work the currents back and forth, but there was not enough updraft to make their way above the cliffs. So they went back and forth trying to catch each current until finally they landed on the beach. And because they were so close to the edge of the cliff all along, my friend who's prone to motion sickness anyway got very motion sick. He helped carry some of the kite back up those long steps, got to the top. He was white as a ghost, not out of fear, just out of nauseousness. We ended our day, went to the parking lot before I wanted to get something to eat. He couldn't stomach anything. And he looked at me and he said, Dee, I am so sorry to drag you down. I feel terrible. And I looked at him and I said, Jim, I, you can't steal my joy. This has been a fabulous day for me. It was totally unsympathetic to his sickness, but I was also still bought into the incredible joy of what I had just experienced. It was invigorating. It was amazing. The sights, the sounds, the air in my face, the feeling, all of that. So stay with me on this. This all leads into a story that we read in Philippians that was just read for us in chapter 3. And the reason I say this is because Paul identifies some of his history and then he goes into a statement about the amazing life that he has found in Christ and how finding Christ has changed his entire perspective. The book Philippians speaks about one of the healthiest churches we find in all of the New Testament, the church at Philippi. And it is a letter that is all about joy. Over and over and over again, the words joy and rejoice come up. It is an admonition to realize the great joy that comes with the gospel message. And that this joy is so enduring that it tastes, as the Old Testament would say, sweeter than honey. It is a presence in a person's life that is transformational. It is something that is born from within 
that no one can steal. But the call is to guard it. This church at Philippi, healthy in so many ways, the town itself, a very ancient town, was founded by Philip, the father of Alexander the Great. Back in about the 4th century B.C., It's a very strategic place because it comes as the hills or mountains that separate Eastern Europe from Asia descend into a pass, a pass that was the easiest and probably one of the most common pathways for commerce between Europe and Asia. It's strategic in so many ways. It was the site of the battle between Antony and Brutus. It set the course for the Roman Empire. It was strategic in its locations, strategic in its military importance, strategic in its economic influence. And Paul was certainly strategic. He had gone to Philippi to share what was for him the most important of all news, Jesus Christ. And all that that had come to mean to him. We have depicted in Acts his visit to Philippi. We have here the letter that is sent to the Philippians. And he compliments them, affirms them, tells them of the many things they have done well. Speaks of faith and joy. And calls them to continue a posture of rejoicing. But it's almost as if something shifts In chapter 3, verse 2, just before our reading starts, almost as if this is a separate letter, and some have said that this section might be, but not necessarily. It is just a huge shift in the whole tone of the message of the letter where he calls out those who he refers to as dogs, evil people, mutilators of the flesh, It is a huge caution of those things that would rob their joy. So here's the question for us this morning. Do we regularly consider those things that feed our joy and those things that can rob our joy? Those things that provide this spiritual energy that connects us with our Creator that makes us sensitive to others and the needs around us. The way in which we invest our time that that makes us feel like we have accomplished or, or been present with those we love. So I'm going to ask you for a moment. I'm going to pause and let you think for a second. What is it that really does bring you joy? What is it that enlivens your spirit? Dramatic pause. Dramatic pause because I want us to think about that. If we believe God dwells within, which is the promise of Scripture, then doesn't it make sense that God would work with the desires of our heart as those get transformed by God's Spirit? 
that we can be sensitive to the things within us that bring joy and to give ourselves permission to participate in those things. So what is it that enlivens your spirit and brings you joy? Question number two, what is it that robs your joy? There are certain, certainly some things over which we have no control. There are things that are must-dos in our life that may not be the source of great joy for us. I understand that. But if we are aware of those things and we begin to know how to guard our hearts so that those things don't rob the joy with which we've been blessed... It's our inheritance in faith. So what are the things that rob your joy? Dramatic pause. It's interesting to me who Paul identifies as those who might hamper the people of Philippi. They are religious zealots who are trying to create once again a system that will enslave those who have come to faith. Paul is dramatic, calls them dogs, mutilators, evildoers. Boy, you'd think that he'd be calling out people within the culture that were trying to drag others down. He is saying, be cautious. Right at the head of the list of those things that can rob your joy are those who would speak about a faith that is encumbered and enchained with rules and regulations and overwhelming requirements that causes to put our faith in the law instead of our faith in our Redeemer. When that happens, the joy of our faith begins to fall apart. Paul has quite a resume. You heard it read. Let me just remind you of this. I mean, if I'm looking at resumes, this one's a great one. A little strange how he starts off, but it makes sense if you're in that context because Paul goes from the very large credits that I have to some of the very specific credits that many people don't have. Circumcised on the eighth day is not necessarily the opening line that I would have in my resume, but that was Paul's. And the reason is, is because it distinguishes him from two other groups of people, Ishmaelites who would have been circumcised at the 13th year, and those who are more recent converts that were circumcised in adulthood. And he's just saying, my heritage is that this has been part of my journey since birth. So it's a distinguishing characteristic. But I also want you to know that I'm an Israelite. Now that seems not all that distinguishing, except for the fact that there are descendants of Abraham who were part of the ten northern tribes. 
those who separated from the kingdom to form two kingdoms, those who were taken away by the Assyrians and didn't maintain kind of the purity of their, um, their culture and, and who they were as a people of God. And so by saying I am an Israelite, he's saying I'm part of the two tribes that continued in this journey faithful to Christ, faithful to God. He then differentiates it even further and says, and I'm a Benjamite. The tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah were the two that separated and continued in their journey. Being a Benjamite means that he claims that the first king Israel ever had came from the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin is identified several times in the Old Testament as being a tribe that was honored and revered. So it's getting from large to narrow and narrower. And then he says, and I'm a Hebrew among Hebrews. That phrase may not sound familiar to us, but for those in Philippi, those particularly who were Jewish, had assimilated the Roman culture. They spoke Greek. There were only a select few who had chosen to retain the mother tongue of Hebrew. And he's saying, and I am one who reads and can speak in our native language, Hebrew. If that's not enough, I'm a Pharisee. A select group within all of the other groups that I've identified. A small group that's been called apart to be experts in the law and those who follow the law. And of that group, I just want to say, I think I'm blameless according to the law. This is the resume of Paul. And Paul says, but I want you to know that all of those things, I consider rubbish. Rubbish on a pile of trash. The worst kind of rubbish you can imagine. That's what Paul's describing. This incredible resume. Rubbish compared to, let me qualify that, compared to knowing Christ, my Redeemer. And the word there is intimately knowing and being known by my Redeemer. This is the message of Paul. The message of faith. The message of the journey of faith. I don't think that he is demeaning everybody's history or everybody's resume he is just saying, I want to tell you what I have found. What I have found is that my joy finds its completion in that which Christ has done for me. And it gives me this vision to the future so that I strain ahead for the very thing for which Christ grabbed hold of me. And I would say, though he doesn't get explicit at this point, that Christ grabbed hold of Paul so that Paul might be free. Free indeed. Freed from all of the constraints 
of all of the competition in comparison of me to somebody else, of Paul to his peers, of everyone who was straining to get ahead at the expense of somebody else, and Christ got a hold of Paul and set Paul free, and he's saying to the Philippians, I just want to remind you of what sets you free. Focus in on those things. Be on guard against those that drag you down. The things that rob you of the joy of your life. The joy that's your inheritance by the redemption of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel message. And it is, my friends, more exhilarating than any kind of hang gliding could ever provide. More exhilarating than any achievement that you could imagine. It is pure joy. I want to confess and be in all honesty that life sometimes feels like you're hanging on by a bar and by a pilot that you're not sure where he's going. It sometimes feels like we are Chris Gertzky. But it's even in the midst of that, I am stunned as he depicts his story with humor and recognition that things went wrong, but it turned out better than he ever could have imagined. I, I don't know how things will turn out for your circumstances. But I do want you to know that if joy is always based on outward circumstances, then we've missed what happens with the Christ within. Because when joy is within, it changes how I see every outward circumstance. So I invite you to prayer. Father, this morning, I thank you for the offer of our inheritance of faith, for the offer of grace and forgiveness, for the inheritance of joy. Paul, Paul says to us that we need to rejoice in you and we need to rejoice in you always. And if we didn't get it the first time, Paul wants to say it again, rejoice. Lord, this morning, whatever we walked in with, with our life circumstances, help us to go inside to where you have offered to dwell. Help us once again to invite your spirit to fill every part of our being. To bring to us new insight, a new way of hearing, a new heart that is sensitive to the things that bring us joy and places us on guard for those things that might rob our joy. Most of all, Lord, help us not to be entrapped by a faith that's marked by legalism or boundaries, but instead we open up our eyes Free us to live into the ways in which you've created us. 
mold the desires of our hearts so that the things within us that bubble up are the things we pursue by your grace, by your goodness. And help us like Paul to step in, to lean into those things, pressing toward the mark, to where we have been called, heavenward, even while we are earthbound. Teach our spirits to soar with wings like eagles. I thank you, Lord, and I praise your wonderful name. Amen. One of the privileges that I have as your pastor is that I get the chance to work with your pastoral staff and working staff here at the church. They're an amazing group of people. They work incredibly hard. They um, put in long hours. They model incredible faithfulness. They believe in you more than you could ever imagine. And I love that they all have chosen to worship here long before they chose to make this their vocational home as well. And on behalf of all of them, one of the great things we get to do together is to celebrate really important times. We get to celebrate things like baptism, which we'll be doing in a few moments. We get to celebrate weddings and births and memorial services. We come together to participate in communion. All of these things are part of the great joy of being connected to this faith community. We also at times celebrate retirements. And so we are doing that this morning, announcing what I think has for many of us been something that we have dreaded for 45 years And that is that there would be a day sometime in the future that Shelley James would choose to retire. Yeah, the collective groan goes across the crowd. 20 years of volunteer work, 25 years as an employee in this place, 45 years connected here. Wow. But there comes a time when... She knows that it's time to make a shift. Now, I want to make something very clear. Shelly and Dave are not leaving us. They are still here in our community, part of our community, community, but just recognizing the need to bring to an end her tenure here sometime in midsummer around the 30th of June. And so that gives us some wonderful opportunities to plan how we will celebrate that. And as the next few weeks pass, we will communicate to you how you can participate in that. But I wanted to let you know now so you can be part of what is unfolding and allow you to uh, shed those tears and maybe decide that we could do a collective children's choir of anyone who's ever been part of this children's choir program. Um, I don't know if we could fit on the stage, but... um, Um, That's part of what I wanted to share with you. And so with that in mind, as something we share together, I want to encourage you to, during this next song, allow your hearts to think about your faith in Christ as we celebrate baptism. We have five 
wonderful children who will be baptized this morning. We're going to hear their testimony in a few moments. Um, if at any point in time parents or family members want to come into these chairs to my left, you're right, you're welcome to do that. But I just want to say that may these moments cause us to think about the joy of faith in our life. I also want to encourage you that when the person who is being baptized goes under the water, it would be wonderful if you would begin the applause and the cheering so that out of the water they would recognize that they are doing this in community with you, which is the great privilege of being together. So lead us in a song.